Pastor Jeremy is not here with us today, but we do have the wonderful privilege of having uh, Brother Joe Hummerkhaus, who has spoken at our church before, um, bring us what God has for us today. I would encourage you all to listen to him. Brother Joe. I've had a great morning. This has been a terrific, terrific morning. Thank you so much. Um, I was able to be in the first service, of course, and then went to Brother Bill's class, and that was brand new stuff. Very good, Bill. Thank you so much. And everybody's been so gracious. I don't think you may understand that when you travel and speak in different churches, uh, just the least little thing where people help you adjust and give you time to adjust things, it just means so much. And uh, getting my uh, everything facilitated for me is good. You also have been gracious to come up and say, I'm so-and-so because Grandpa Joe doesn't always remember who you are. So is that okay? <laughs> but anyway, Gary came up, reintroduced himself and Joanna. And hey, I want to say that in your seat, there should be an outline and that will probably be helpful for you um, for this message. So just be aware of that. God's been doing a lot of my life. And you know, about six months ago, I guess, I've, I've, we had a shelter at home. And so um, I live up a dirt road in the woods, and so I spend a lot of time by myself. I joke, my wife works, somebody has to make a living. You know what I mean. So anyway, I had a lot of time to be with myself. I got to thinking about God. And in this last six months, he's gotten really, really big for me, which is good. In fact, he got so big, it kind of blew my mind. You know, Dr. Warren Wiersbe said that if uh, the devil can get you in the arena of the mind, he will win. But if you take him in the arena of faith, he will lose. And I will tell you that God can blow your mind. A second thing that God did in my life during that time is that I began to see, the older I get, you guys, no kidding, the older I get, the more I hurt for people. And I notice pain more. Um, I'm blessed. Right now I don't have any pains. I'm not talking about myself. I'm talking about my friends that have suffered greatly. In fact, my schedule got changed on this trip because I was going to leave on Thursday because I had some other things to do in Cleveland and so forth. And, but one of my friends who uh, passed away, I was a part of that service for him on Thursday evening, so I didn't get to leave till Friday and so forth. I'll tell you more about that later. But his name was George. And George was on dialysis for 10 years. You know, that's a long time to be on dialysis. And his wife Pam took care of him and they were such a faithful couple during all that time. And so, but man, I get sensitive about George and people who suffer and it became a problem to me. I'm, I'm asking the Lord, Lord, why, why do you let people suffer so much? And I just thought about that a lot. And so at any rate, I came up, this is fresh from my heart and it's the whole idea of wits end. Can you say that with me? Wits end. I want to talk to you today about being at our wits end. Now you got to know the first time I ever heard this statement, Nathan, was from my mother. She would say, Joe, 
you have me. Look at him. He's entering in at my wit's end. We also had a mental institution in our state, which is Illinois. It's called Kankakee. It was in the, the city of Kankakee. Some of you may have heard of Kankakee. And the next thing after she said, I had driven her to her wit's end. She said, you are driving me to Kankakee. In other words, I am driving her crazy, right? So that's the first time I heard it. Had no idea it was in the Bible. <laughs> But at any rate, this is, a, uh, this is a very real thing. And you say, well, why, why does God bring us to our wit's end? And I will tell you, we're going to find out today that our wit's end is the unlikely place. It's the unlikely place of redemption and maturity and fulfillment. I'd love to talk to you just about those three things. But you can write that down and you can study it out. You know, like, look at, think about it. When Jesus, you know, he lived on earth, perfect life and so forth, never sinned. And then, guess what? The crowd turned against him, nailed him to a cross, and he died. And, you know, the disciples were at their wit's end. What has happened? All our hope is gone because we put all our hope in him. But guess what? The surprise was, what happened on the third day, guys? What happened on the third day? He, he rose from the dead. No, who was expecting that? <laughs> now, he had repeated that several times to them, but... They didn't get that either, but then the resurrection. So that's Jesus in a very real way in his ministry. You could say he was at his wit's end, but out of that came resurrection. You get the idea. And so we're going to see that today, that being at our wit's end is an unlikely place, but it is a place of redemption, maturity, and fulfillment. And so we ask the question, why? Why does the Lord bring us to our wit's end? And the answer is this, because we must be brought to the end of ourselves again and again if we're going to really grow in the Lord and become Christ-like. Because we have this pride in us that is, it just never goes away. And so we have to be put into situations where we're dead. Nothing I can do. And that has to happen again and again. I could, I, I could tell you a lot of stories about how that's happened in my life. But it's very real and it has been very, very good when God breaks me through these wits end circumstances. So I made a little list there for you. We can say God alone knows where we are. He really does. I think I know my heart, but I don't. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So I, I think I know my heart. But only God really knows. And I might say God alone knows what we need. What does Joe need to go from here to here? I don't always know. And the Father designs the chastisement so that I can grow and change. God alone designs and tailor makes the tests. He, he knows what tests we need. And they're not all the same. I will tell you something interesting. And you need to hear this. That sometimes God tests us with prosperity. In other words, sometimes He just pours out, opens up the windows of heaven and just pours out to where there's money and there's time and there's health. And sometimes it's a test of prosperity. I think it's always a test. But there's times of adversity too. So both, both are there. And so you may be right now like in a time of adversity and it doesn't feel good. But some of us may be in a time of prosperity. We feel really, really free. Both of those things are a test. In fact, Ecclesiastes is clear. 
that there are days of prosperity and we're to rejoice and there are days of adversity and we're to consider. I like that. That's the old King James word. It's like when we're in adversity, God wants us to think what's going on. And Solomon, when he wrote that, he said, he, God balances one against the other. So at the end of life, we just have to say, we didn't find our path. God brought us this way. And I, I, like, I like that song, Jesus led me all the way. That's kind of the way it is, isn't it? Prosperity and adversity. So God alone decides or Taylor makes the test. And then God alone knows the end product. Only God the Father really, really knows what Jesus is like. And so therefore, He's always adjusting us, tweaking us, changing us so that we can become like Jesus. I, I love to talk about the relationship of Jesus and the Father. Don't you? And Jesus prayed for our oneness and God wants our likeness and He wants to bring many sons to glory that look just like Jesus. And He's working on you and He's working on me if we're Christians to become like Jesus. But He alone really knows that. So I find that there are three categories of people. The first one is what we call a believing theist and I would say that that's where most of you would think you are. You're a believer. You believe in God. And you would be quick to say, God is God, and I am not. In fact, all of us who came to know Jesus, really in a very real way, said that in our hearts. I remember when I accepted Jesus, I was on the locker room floor of a Christian college. I was playing soccer for them. And the Lord, through a series of events, had just brought me to the end of myself, and I knelt at that bench. We were all kneeling. Coach had us pray. We were all kneeling, and I said to the Lord, I will do this. I am exhausted. It was good. Because that's when my life really then began to be transformed. So we are believing theists. We believe that God is God, and I am not. And there's an atheist. What's an atheist? He's somebody who says there is no God. Ah, theism. But this is tricky here, and I'm afraid that I can slip into this, and I think you can too. It's an apatheist. And there's something about us, especially if we can kind of get things together. Maybe we know how to do a budget and have a marriage and raise kids, and our home looks pretty much in order, our life looks pretty much in order. That there can be this sneaky thing that comes inside of us that says, well, yeah, God is God, but so am I. And we could look at somebody who's just like washed out, you know, and looks very irresponsible. And we could say about them, you know, if they'd change and they'd do like I do, then they could be a lot better off. And so we can be proud. And sometimes we can just get apathetic. So that even a precious place like Calvary, or a precious word like the Bible, or precious privileges like being able to pray, they just kind of, eh, we kind of get apathetic. So... God says, you shall have no other gods before me. Right? Got that? Satan says, you will be like God. And we've got to get the God syndrome out of us. Guys, before I give you the next slide, let me say that again. We have got to get all of the little g God out of us. And God knows that. Thus, wit's end. So with that being said, let me have a word of prayer and then we are going to look at Psalm and see how this works, okay?
Lord, I should love to share these things because you have shared them with me and you put them in my heart and you've given me a fire to, uh, to learn and grow. I don't like to be at my wit's end. None of us do. It's painful. It's confusing. And we don't know how long it's going to last. And you're in charge of that. But I want to say to you, you know the end product and you know where we are and you know how to get us from where we are to that place. And I pray that this time in your word would just be a super blessing to everybody that's here. That we might understand a little bit better about those days of adversity or those mental times of mental confusion and spiritual discouragement so that we will eventually end up right where you wanted us to be and right where we wanted to be anyway. Thank you. I pray for every listener that you would fill them with the Holy Spirit to be able to listen. And I pray for me, Lord, that I might be filled with the Holy Spirit as I talk. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like for you to go to Psalm 107, please. And uh, I call this a nautical theme for land lovers. I'm a land lover. I can't swim. I'm not good in the water. Um, So when you take me out, I had one cruise. I've been on some boats and so forth, lakes and oceans. But I'm not a water guy. And water scares me. Uh, I have visited Niagara Falls, and I love to watch that. And I remember when I was teaching a conference in Wheatfield, New York, I used to study on the Niagara River. But the falls, you can imagine, the falls are very threatening. I'm just worthless when it comes to water. So I'm a land lover, but this is a nautical theme. And I might say that most of Israel were land lovers because they raised sheep and they worked with the soil and the land and crops And so God can put us in scary places. And this is a passage of scripture which can put us in a very scary place. And so here we are at Psalm 107. Let's begin reading in verse 23. Those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business on great waters, they see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. Now that would be true physically if we were on the waters, but it's also true spiritually when God takes us out into deep waters. For he commands the raises of the stormy wind, which lifts up the waves and the sea. They mount up to the heavens. They go down again to the depths. Their soul melts because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. There's our words. And you know, it's interesting to me, I, th- I think you probably noticed that, that in verse 25, a key word for all its stormy weather and rough seas is the, the word He. God did this. You know, if I said this, now, now, let me say something and you give the answer. Who said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good? Who said that in the Bible? Joseph. And so that's the kind of thing we're talking about, is that God allowed Joseph to go through this incredible, stormy life, weather. And even he was doing right, he was being prospering there. 
in uh, Egypt. Then he, he was faithful to God in relation to Pharaoh's wife. And then he got in trouble for that. And here he is in prison. God's word came to him. And so he went through all of that. It was, guys, it was years, long, long years. If I said who was in the lion's den, who would you say? Daniel. And so do you know how old Daniel was when he was in the lion's den? 84. I mean, we're talking about a guy who went into Babylon when he was a teenager, and then, what, 70 years later, he's in the lion's den. I mean, this, this is stormy seas, and he's facing all kinds of threats. And so it is, you can think about the heroes of the faith. And so it's God, often, that allows us to get into these situations. Job, of course, is a classic illustration. Their soul melts and they're at their wit's end. See verse 27, wit's end. I want to tell you the Hebrew word for wit's end. It's really good. And I, we have a Hebrew scholar in um, our church and she told me this. It means all their wisdom was swallowed up. You know, we got some smart people in here. We got some experienced people in here. I bet we have engineers, we have farmers. Gary was telling me what he does. Bill has had years and years. Nathan's been to seminary. And you guys have had lots and lots of experience. You've perhaps been married a long time, raised a lot of kids, and we got a treasure of knowledge in some of you guys and gals that have been around a long time. But there are times when we come to where all the wisdom that we have experienced, all of our knowledge that we've studied, all of our experience that we've ever had, it's not enough. I got someone precious to me who has a, um, a wrong sexual attraction. I have biblical answers. And I have sat down with him and I've tried to explain it, draw him diagrams, show him, pray for him. And this happens more often, it seems, in this today's world. But there came a point in my life, you guys, when I'm at my wit's end. I have nothing else to say. I deal with drug addicts, alcoholics. You can pour out your heart, prepare for your presentation, counseling sessions, do everything we can but if they don't listen and that they choose to rebel for one reason or another because of this powerful feeling that may be in them, oftentimes the teacher comes to his wit's end. I don't have anything else to say. Right? I gave an illustration in the first service about my wife who died of cancer in 02 and we were like kids when that hits you. You know, we were in our 50s but we still felt paralyzed by that in many ways and as you work through it and sometimes we're at our wit's end and I remember when she said no more we were trying to do an IV on a Saturday morning and give her some treatments at home and so forth and it just wasn't working and she she just went like this and said no more she was at her wit's end you know what you learn through those kinds of things because if we are always so proud that we think we're in control and got all the answers, then we can sometimes lose this precious thing called dependence on God. 
for what he and he alone can do. So let's walk through. No, I didn't finish reading that text. Let me, let me finish reading it. Wits in. Verse 28. Then they cry out. When we're in our wits in, then we cry out to the Lord in their trouble. He brings them out of their distresses. He calms the storm and so that the waves are still. Then they're glad. Oh, we're glad. We're so glad because they're quiet. And then he guides them to their desired haven. I like to say here to you, remember how we started and said that this wits in thing is like, a, it's an unlikely place for, act, for us to actually get what we wanted in the first place. And I'm learning, guys, and I know we do this cliche thing, God is good all the time. You know, I would say God is good, you would say all the time, and then I'd say all the time God is good. But if you read like Mark Vrogop's book on lament, he has a terrific book, Dark Clouds and Deep Mercies, and his wife and he went through terrible times, and she got in the car after a doctor's appointment, and she said, you know, she said to, to Mark, the pastor of College Park Baptist Church, actually in Indianapolis, she said to Mark, she said, I know God's not mean, but it feels like it right now. Sometimes God feels mean. You were talking about your bride who had MS. So that's wit's end. And we don't, we don't know we need that. We don't want to go there. We pray for people who are there. But nevertheless, we, after, we kind of go through this, and I'm convinced that we're not going to see it all in this life. We're going to see it in the next life. You know, the, the sufferings of today are not worthy to be compared with the glories later. But we can't see those. We only see here. Right? And so it's hard. We have to let our spirits move on into eternity. But it uh, brings them to, to their desired haven. And then I like this, verses 31, 32, and this will be it for this passage. Oh, that men would give thanks. Oh, please give thanks to the Lord for his goodness. Talk about how good God is. For his wonderful works in the children of men. I remember when I got cancer, and uh, I was working at my daughter's house, and uh, <clears throat> I was on a ladder scraping a wall, and... The doctor called, I had my cell phone, he called and said, well, I got good news and bad news. He said, you do have cancer, but it's contained and blah, blah. And so I said, what am I going to do with this? And I, I crawled down off the ladder and I knelt down on one of the rungs of the ladder there and leaned my elbow up on it. And I said, okay, Lord, um, I, I don't quite understand all that's going to come out of this, but I am going to obey your word that says, in everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And I said, Lord, you're going to do something through this cancer that couldn't be done any other way. And so I'm going to look for the good things and give you thanks. That was a, uh, that was a, you know, and when we do that, when we actually give thanks, it's like we pick up the shield of faith at that moment and begin to walk at a totally different plane. And then verse 32, let them exalt him also in the assembly of the people and praise him in the company of the elders. You know what, guys, now listen to this. This is, this is an incredible. Uh, I grew up a farmer, and so I understand sowing seed and pollination and all those kinds of things. And so it's like when you, all over the place, come to some tough times, you believe God as you go through it, and then he brings you to your desired haven, and some really good things come out of that. 
it's then we ought to talk about it. And even in every day, I, I like to say that I think it's cool when we talk about what we get out of our Bibles when we read them in the morning. You know, my pastor, his name's Andy, and he and I are best buds. And so he and I often share what God's doing in our lives and what we're getting out of the Word. Yesterday I left a home of David Rowland, who used to be on staff here, and Dave and I are best buds. And so we talk about what God's doing. We just shared Scripture for them. You know, we were together maybe 12 or 14 hours and just talked about one Scripture after another. And so what we're doing is talk, talk, talk. And that's important for us to understand that these wits and experiences are turned into a conversation about what God did and we pass the word along. So let's go for a quick walk, okay? This will go fast. First of all, in this passage, we choose to do business with God. I think that's cool. Do business with God. Don't be afraid to step out in faith and do business with God. And uh, then, he commands the stormy sea. Whoa, why are you doing this? How, do you remember the disciples? You know, they were on the stormy sea, right? When in the boat, and Jesus was asleep. And um, God had done that. It's kind of good to know that nothing was ever said or done in the life of the Lord Jesus that the Father didn't ordain. And so the Father's ordaining these storms for us. Even in the way a church grows. Remember, Jesus is the vine, but the Father is the husbandman. Calvary Bible Church is always being handled by a green thumb. And His name is the Father. He knows exactly how to grow you guys. We see and experience His wonders and are at our wit's end. Then we cry out to the Lord, You're God and I'm not. I don't have these answers. He said, I'm glad you're finally admitting you don't have all the answers. He brings us out and calms the storm. We are glad. He guides us to our desired haven. And I like to say here, God's word and God's will really do define what we really want. We don't always know what we want. And then we talk and talk about His goodness and His wonders. Can I talk to you today about one little wonder on this trip? You know, I always respect a church that has two services because I see faces of people who were in the first service and you don't want to be bored with this same message. So let me tell you about another miracle on this trip. This has been a miracle trip. I had to leave later than I planned. I left Friday morning early traveling up, had to go to Cleveland, pick up some cases of books and so forth. Had some, you know, some cool texts that came to me, you know, on the trip. But um, I got a miracle tomorrow that I'm not going to tell you about. I already told the first crowd, so you can talk to them. But I want to tell you about a miracle that happened on Friday. So, okay, I couldn't leave on Thursday, right, because of George's service. So I left on Friday, left early, here I go. Well, guess what I had? I have a grandson, the second one, second oldest grandson who's going to a college. Uh, his, he's registering college on Friday. So I'm coming up and it dawned on me, the highway that I'm on goes right by his college. I don't get to see my kids as much as I'd like. And especially when they do special things like go to college. So anyway, uh, I called my son. I said, what are you guys doing? He said, well, we're taking Ben to college. Oh, okay, wow. And she said, we're following him. He's driving and so forth. And so I thought, wow, could I sneak up on them? I love to do this kind of thing. Could I sneak up on them? And would, it, would there be a chance that I'd be going by that college at the same time they were there? Well, 
being the good old farm boy that I am, I had to stop and get breakfast at the fried egg. And so I did in Wabash, Indiana, got in my car, started driving. I said, you know what? I think this timing could be just about perfect. So I drove by the front of the university. I turned in. I looked at the parking lot. Sure enough, my son's got so many kids, he carries them in a bus. When he left here, you know, he was a, he had a, he was a youth pastor. So when he got married, he decided to get his own youth group. It's called his children. Anyway, fun story. There's his bus. I pulled in. I snuck up. I snuck up on Jennifer. That's his wife. Scared her. She was on the phone. And I only had about 12 minutes with them. Saw Ben. He's, he's tall, 6'9", going to play for the college. Gave them all hugs. Cracked a couple jokes. Dad jokes. Aren't they awful? <laughs> and I saw God, a good God, give me a good little miracle to be with those kids. Now what am I doing now? I'm talking to you about it. Why are you talking to us about it? Because I want you to know God is good. And Psalm 145 verse 4, it says, Let one generation praise God to the next generation. And I will tell you, that's one of the best ways to convince kids to trust Jesus. Is to point out to them the goodness of God through Jesus. All God's people said? You know, when, and like I, I, I said before in the first... When I had devos with the kids at home, we had four, and we had it at dinner time, and we were, you know, getting around the table, and every day I tried to tell them the things that God did in my life that day, because they need to know that God's alive in my life, and that I point out specific things that God did, and I thought that was a good way. Now, I want to go to a really familiar passage as we wind this up. I'd like for you to go to the New Testament in Romans chapter 12. I would say that everybody at Calvary Bible knows this and almost by heart. But I want to show you um, some really good points as to how to navigate during times when you're at your wit's end. And so I'm calling this riding the gospel boat down the Romans River. And all I'm going to do is real quickly, I'm going to walk through the book of Romans. So work with me here now. So we're going to ride the gospel boat down the Romans River. This is not the Romans road to salvation that we often use, but this is a little fuller explanation. I want to show you how wit's end works uh, even in the book of Romans. Are you ready? Okay, so just look up here. I'll walk you verbally through the book of Romans. Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation. And then, in that chapter, he teaches that the Gentiles are lost and he gives the message of creation. And then in chapter 2, he says that the Jews are lost and speaks about the conscience. And then in chapter 3, he says, all have sinned and talks about the law. So at that point, you realize that everybody in here who knows Jesus has been brought by God to your end, wit's end, with regard to sin, and then you believed in Jesus as your Savior. God is in the business of bringing people to the end of themselves so they'll be saved. 
But then after we get saved, we need to come to the end of ourselves again and again for sanctification purposes. And so we're riding in our gospel boat. Now we're thrilled. We've trusted in Jesus as our Savior. And Paul takes us out into Romans chapter 4 that we're saved by faith. Oh, that's so good because I'll never be able to not sin and I'll never be able to do enough good to outweigh my bad. And so I'm saved by faith. That's cool. Abraham believed God. And so then in Romans chapter 5, he tells us that the second Adam, that's Jesus, overturned everything that the first Adam, Adam, messed up. And we have grace, grace greater than all of our sins. So we have faith and grace. In uh, chapter 6, we're dead, to the lo- we're dead to ourselves so we can overcome the flesh. That's great. In chapter 7, we're dead to the law because we died with Christ. So therefore, we don't have to keep the law anymore. That's really good news. And in Romans 8, he says, you have the Holy Spirit. There's therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. And so we've been given the Holy Spirit. And so we've been, that's a, such a good ride. Wow, we're in this gospel boat and it's faith and grace and it's victory over self, victory over the law. And it's filled with the Holy Spirit. And he stops at the end of Romans 8, you know this. And he tells them about how they'll never be separated from God's love. And when I see this uh, progression, guys, it's almost like we're riding in this boat. Like I said, I'm not a swimmer. And so we're going to go over the rapids here a little bit. And so our guide stops and says, okay, for you non-swimmers, we want you to really buckle up on your life vest. And so it's just like he tells them about you'll never be separated from God's love. And then when Paul goes into Romans 9, 10, and 11, he deals with the greatness of God, where we see things like this. This is scary. When you hear this about God, God said, Jacob, have I loved? And Esau, have I what? Really? What's that mean? And all of a sudden, this safe little wonderful gospel boat I'm in begins to rock. And then he says, I will have mercy on who I will have mercy, and I will harden who I harden. And man, that rocks my boat. I don't know about you guys. I cannot figure that out. Again, I don't have to figure God out in the mind. I have to go with what's said. Bill was talking in his class today about going with what's said. But then you, know, you go through and, and when you come to chapter 11, verse 32, he says something like, God has con- included all under sin that he might have mercy on all. And sometimes, honestly, if you try to rationalize this stuff, it's like, please take this in the spirit in which I give it. I, wanna, so I, I, I have said to God, Would there have been any easier way than all this pain and suffering and death? And he knows my heart. So what happens in Romans 9, 10, 11, guys, watch, is that like if I'm on the Niagara River and I'm going down and it's like a placid little river, it's just a gentle stream. But then when I come to the falls, it's over the falls. Let me show you in uh, chapter 11, just above the verse I have for you. Chapter 11, verse 32. For God has committed them all in disobedience, that's what I just said, that he might have mercy on all. 
What's the, what's the first word of the next verse, class? Oh. Um, I'd like to preach a message sometimes just on the word oh. So, so Paul writes, God has committed them all in disobedience. You might have mercy on all. And it's like this. Oh. You know what, guys? We would never think of doing it that way. And that's why God is God. And we are not. And then he goes, Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. And his ways, what? Past finding out. Let me tell you, gang, when you are at wit's end, you're not always going to know what's going on. But, in chapter 12 and verse 1, this is where we come to the end, Paul tells us how to live. This comes down to something, yes, he can. I can't figure all that out, Joe, and I can't figure that all out, God. But here's how God says, graciously, He said, okay, when you're trying to navigate these wits and waters, this is how you do it. And He gives us the answers in the first two verses. Navigating wits end to our desired heaven. Number one, He says, constantly consider the mercies of God. Review them again and again. Now, I walked you through Romans and co- So, you know, without doing it, by mercy God showed us our sin through creation, through our conscience, through the Word. By mercy He let us be saved by faith. By mercy He has grace greater than our sin. By mercy we can overcome the flesh. By mercy we don't have to keep the law. By mercy we have the Holy Spirit. By mercy He'll never separate us, never be separated from God's love. And so... It's mercy, mercy, mercy. And he says here, he included all in disobedience. He might have mercy. Therefore, by the mercies of God, and I think it's important for us to constantly review the mercy. And like me in my life, I grew up in a Christian home. That's mercy. I grew up on a farm. And there was a lot of mercy to that because I learned life and death and seed and sowing. There's a lot of mercy there. My, my family were God-fearing people. They took me to a church from day one. That's mercy, mercy. And I look back and there's mercy. There were opportunities when it looks like I was going to die, but God saved me. That's mercy. I was run over by a tractor before I was saved. And, and the pastor came in and he said, Joe, it doesn't look good. He said, I just need to know, if you were to die tonight, would you go to heaven? I was in the emergency room with blood running out of my head. And I was, it was very, very broken. And you know what? I blew him off on that night. I said, yeah, I'm good, you know, and that's nuts. That's just nuts. I was not good. I was dying. But God spared me. You know what? That's mercy. And you know, if we'll stop and review and talk and rehearse, mercy, 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 mercy. I don't necessarily have to figure out, God, what I need to do is just look at His mercy. And so constantly consider the mercies of God. Number two, present your body to God as a worship. There's a call to purity. There's a call to diligence. There's a call to responsibility. There's a call to cleanliness. You know, by the way, going through COVID has really helped me to understand the book of Leviticus a lot better. Because God had a million six people in the desert and they're traveling together. How, do you, how are you going to slow down disease and keep people clean and well? 
And some of those cleanly laws in the book of Leviticus, it doesn't make a lot of sense to us. They make a lot of sense to me. Now better, I went into a little little mart to get a sandwich where I get some coffee and a sandwich, you know. And as I drove up, I had my, um, I think I had my, my Jeep and trailer and I pulled around behind and I, and I looked at the filthy behavior of the girls who make those sandwiches out behind that mart. And you know, I just drove on. And God has kind of rehearsed with me, Joe, Leviticus makes a lot more sense when you see the importance of cleanliness. Present your body to God as a worship. Don't let the world system tell you how to live. Wow, that's going on, isn't it? We probably got people in who could talk a lot about what the media is telling us or celebrities or whatever. But don't let the world system tell you how to live. Constantly renew your mind with Scripture. Never, never, um, I'm sorry, I'm not. Constantly renew your mind with Scripture. Get new paths for your thinking. And I have to do that. I've been working on that really hard in my life lately, even though I've been studying the Word a long time. And then find treasure in the will of God. That it's good, acceptable, perfect. I will tell you the, the word that's there for the will of God. It's a middle class verb that says we need to be convinced that the will of God is perfect. And when you think about your kids, you think about your grandkids, you think about this church, you think about people who come, look at my finger. The number one person that needs to be convinced that God's will is good and perfect and acceptable is me. Do you know when I don't know that, for somehow I'm getting some rocky waters, then when I come to a beautiful congregation like you, my heart's not bubbling. And I don't speak out of the overflow. I don't think about the miracle of my relationship with God through Jesus if I'm not convinced that His will is good and acceptable and perfect. You need to be convinced about that. So much that it makes you smile. It makes you pleasant. I get around some folks and there, is, there ain't nothing you can do to make them smile. <laughs> There's nothing you can do to... I mean, their cup is always half empty. I want to say, good night, come on. I want my cup full. And not just full, I want it to be running over. And I want to be able to speak to you out of the overflow of the cup of my relationship with me and God. And that's what happens when we are, even when we're at wit's end, when we navigate the waters this way, we find out that what God has given us is exactly what we need. I had a lady who stood up in one of our revival meetings one time and she said, you don't know that Jesus is all you need until He's all you have. Can I say that again? We don't know that Jesus is all we need until He's all we have. Now, I think our time is just about over. But here's what I want to say to you. Now, you can close your Bibles, put your notes away, just listen. 
The strongest thing about you, if you're a Christian, the strongest thing about you to keep you right with God is the Holy Spirit. And you know, it's incredible for me to say that because you can't necessarily feel or touch or you know, get a hold of the Holy Spirit. He's in there. There's a presence. We're spiritually discerned people. There was a day when I thought my body was strong. My body's not strong anymore. And there was a day when I thought I was really smart. I'm not so smart anymore. And there's a day when, you know, I thought I could suck up and do anything because that's what German farmers do. And so you think you're emotionally tough, mentally strong, willfully make choices, do it anyway, pick it up if it's heavy, lift harder. But God has brought me to a place at times when I'm so broken that the only thing that can turn and worship is the Holy Spirit. And when we say, Holy Spirit, there's nothing left to me, would you please, by grace, allow me to worship God today? So, learning to rely on the Holy Spirit on those times of wit's end will bring you to a desired place. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is what, guys? Gain. God bless you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I'd love to talk about you like this, because sometimes we take things for granted, and we also think we have things in order. But perhaps this time will allow us to be prepared for a time that we might go through in the near future or in the far future. It also might help to explain maybe some of the things that we're going through right now. But I want to say to you, you are good. You are good. And we're thankful. And when what look, what's around us doesn't look good, May we surrender by the Holy Spirit and worship and wait until we see that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Certainly the, uh...